This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. With Leland starts right now. Tonight, predictable and preventable. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. Iran's militias kill three American service members and injure 40 more. Why the White House focuses on what they don't want. We don't seek war, but we will take action. Can the same team that got us into this mess get us out? Third party bombshell. New polls suggest RFK Jr. could win the White House. Or is it Joe Manchin? I will do whatever if I think there's a way to unite the country and bring it together. Bill O'Reilly on the rise of a third party and memories of Ross Perot. The dollar's gone through the floor. Now, whose fault is that? Not the Democrats, not the Republicans. Somewhere out there, there's an extraterrestrial that's doing this to us, I guess. Border madness. Republicans and Democrats refuse to put country above politics. Can President Biden flip the script and blame Republicans for the millions coming across? House Republicans got in the way. They refused to do anything about it. Have you no shame? And we'll bring you home soon. Why nobody cares when Jews get attacked. And mandatory detox. Florida bars kids under 16 from getting social media apps. Parents applaud. But does it have any chance of working? We start with breaking news, 7 p.m. in Washington, where the pressure is growing on President Biden to do something, to do anything to avenge the killing of three American service members in Jordan. Live pictures of Karbala, Iraq, where it is a little past 3 a.m. there. This is one of the main Shia strongholds in Iraq. This is where the Shia militias, the Iranian militias, are based They're the ones who killed the Americans and injured 40 more. So far, no explosions uh, in Iraq so far that we can report. With that, we welcome you to The Ferris Show on television this Monday night. And we've been talking about this for a while, that policies have consequences. Three American troops were killed, all Army reservists from Georgia. Sergeant William Rivers, 46, of Carleton, Georgia. Specialist Kennedy Sanders, 24. Waycross, Georgia. Specialist Brianna Moffat, 23, of Savannah. Their deaths are not only tragic, they are made more tragic because they were entirely preventable. Their deaths and the injuries of those 40 other American service members were not a failure of President Biden's policy in the Middle East, but they were a direct result of the policy. The policy of giving Iran billions of dollars, treating Iran as though it could be brought into the international community, and the failure to adequately respond to restore deterrence after 158 separate attacks on U.S. service members in the past few months. It's worth putting this up just so you can see. We're going to go ahead and look here on the big map. Think about this for a second. All of these attacks, 158 attacks by Iranian militias, 
and there was not any deterrence given to Iran. And now four, three Americans are dead. This was entirely preventable. And sadly, we must predict that it will happen again unless deterrence is returned. The same four policy team that got us here, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, Lloyd Austin, the Defense Secretary, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, they're the ones who are going to lead the response here. And they are driven by a view of the Middle East as they want it to be, not as it is. Weakness in the Middle East is provocative. I know that. I lived there for four years. And it's very important what we heard today. Rather than saying that protecting American troops is the number one and only priority of this administration, of this president, what we heard from the administration over and over again is their first priority is not escalating into a regional war. Not escalating, not escalating, not escalating. Here is John Kirby and the Pentagon's deputy press spokesperson. To escalate. We don't seek a war with Iran. We're not looking to escalate. We don't seek to widen this conflict. We are not looking to escalate. We certainly don't seek a war. So again, we don't seek war. Hmm. The problem for the administration is that their policy only emboldens Iran. Remember all of these attacks. We heard they don't want to escalate now for four months. The Iranians continue to escalate and embarrass the United States. If Team Biden desires to restore deterrence, they will now have to use far greater force, far greater force, than if they had established deterrence after the first 158 attacks. And obviously, there's more attacks down farther south of here by the Houthis in Yemen. Here's a question for you. Will the president come meet the families of the fallen and welcome the caskets home at Dover? Doesn't seem likely. Just so we understand where they were, they were at a logistics base, a support base known as Tower 22. This is in the Jordanian desert. You can see here, there's Jordan, Israel over here. This is Iraq, that's Syria, this is Saudi Arabia. Tower 22 is in a critical corner, northeast part of Jordan. It was a logistics base. You can see the helicopter areas. You can see possibly a landing field for drones, more helicopter pads. An enormous facility of enormous importance because it can see into Iraq and see into Syria. 350 personnel, both the Army and Navy. It's unclear what kind of weapons they have there and how much this was to support U.S. troops inside Iraq and inside Syria. U.S. officials say the attack was a success because the defense system that's supposed to, to, to keep this base safe from drones, and the drone hit one of the barracks, uh, mistook the militia's drone, the uh, Iranian drone, for a U.S. drone. After 158 times, the Iranians got better at this. Eventually, as we said, they were going to get lucky. We are going to bring in now former Supreme Allied Commander of U.S. forces and NATO forces in Europe, General Philip Breedlove. General, it is good to see you. Thank you. I wrote this down because I thought I want to get the military perspective first rather than the political one. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, a couple of weeks ago, warned, and I'm quoting now, of severe consequences if Iran killed Americans. Take the U.S. out of this. You're briefing the president and giving his team options. What does the Iranian regime view right now? What would they view as severe consequences? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on your show. And um, Iran uh, right now fully believes, I 
that we are going to strike back at their proxies. And I think they are uh, hopeful and, and worried that maybe this was the time that tripped over the edge and would require a strike back at them. This is the calculus in their head right now. What they've seen in Ukraine and what they've seen in, in this conflict so far is the, what you played earlier, that we're not seeking to make this conflict bigger. And so we, uh, we limit our reactions in a way to not do that. I think that we need to flip this whole calculus. We are reacting. Sometimes we use the word retaliating. We need to get off of that line of logic, and we need to get back on the offensive here, and we need to establish uh, deterrence again through action. General, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you've worked with this team before. You worked with Blinken and Sullivan uh, when they were there in the Obama administration. You were the Supreme Allied Commander in, in Europe. I understand this idea of wanting to to have a deal with the Iranians and not have to go far, far, force on force with them. You look at where the, the U.S. forces are in the Middle East. Here's Iran, obviously. There, there's enormous places that Iran can hit uh, America. But at some point, uh, you got to see people as they are, not as you want them to be. And I'm wondering, from your dealings with Blinken and Sullivan, where this sort of religious fervor comes from that Iran can be dealt with, and if only, to your point, we don't retaliate so much, we, we, we hold our fire, then Iran will somehow uh, behave. Well, we, you know, first we have to remember here, and I don't think there's any confusion, even the president pointed it out the other day, all roads start in Iran and all roads go back to Iran. And so if we're going to change the dynamic, if we're going to retake the initiative, if we're going to establish deterrence again, we're going to have to deal with something that Iran's holds dear. And so the calculus there is not good for those who seek, and as you pointed out, their number one desire is not to broaden this conflict. That's how we got behind and started shooting behind the target in Ukraine. We told Russia that we didn't want a wider conflict and we didn't want nukes. We told them both of those before the war started, and so they played it back to us. And now I believe Iran, North Korea, and China have been watching. And we are, uh, we are in need of reestablishing leadership, reestablishing deterrence, and retaking the initiative in this uh, effort. For whatever his faults were, Donald Trump seemed to have instilled deterrence around the world. Some, some might say just because people were so worried about what he would do because he, he just was that crazy. I think about uh, Iran's, where the roads lead from, Lebanon, Hezbollah, Gaza, Gaza, obviously the Houthis down in Yemen, Qatab, Hezbollah, which is in Iraq, which is most likely the ones responsible for this attack all come back uh, to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. Um, it was this guy's predecessor, Qasem Soleimani, that President Trump uh, killed. Is that the kind of retaliatory strike against Iran that would set the Iranians back and would suddenly make them realize that the calculus in Washington has changed? 
Leland, I wouldn't want to get out there and judge that one way or the other. Here is what I believe will happen. I believe that the CENTCOM commander and the Secretary of Defense will give the president sovereign options that go from distinct impact on Iran all the way down to some of the things that we have been doing in the desert so far, striking some of these small logistics spaces and others. Mm. So the president will be presented with an entire range. It really boils down to what is the president's policy? How is he going to reestablish the the initiative in this conflict rather than allowing Iran to run this conflict and we continue to react? Yeah, I think about the warehouses we've blown up uh, in Yemen has not done much uh, other than irritate some camels in terms of deterring the Houthis. General, we appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you. I think over the next couple of days we'll be speaking to you a lot. Thank you. With us now, Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. I want to play for you a soundbite from Korean Jean-Pierre, the president's spokesperson this morning on MSNBC about the three Americans killed. Take a listen. And our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three folks who are who are military folks, who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration. Forget the word salad for a minute. She said fighting on behalf of the administration. And I'm wondering, as somebody who's running against Joe Biden, um, if that doesn't show kind of a misunderstanding of of what our military is about. No, that's right, Leland. Look, I, I think she just misspoke. I don't think that was intentional. And you can imagine, I'm a gold star son. You know, I lost my own father in Vietnam. You know, those are American soldiers serving all of us, defending our freedoms. And I know she knows that. And um, I don't want to make too much out of that. Uh, but that didn't come out as well as surely it should have. I know you and you speak eloquently on the campaign trail about about your father and about uh, losing him in Vietnam. Help me as you are seeing and I know you listen to General Breedlove um, of your issues with President Biden. Uh, Has his foreign policy worked? Well, Leland, you know, I, I come from the business world and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You know, Joe Biden has been in Washington for 50 years, five decades, uh, former chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, eight years as vice president, a man of a lot of experience. Uh, I would argue the proof is in the pudding. You know, we have not deterred these proxy attacks. Uh, they go un- they, they continue to happen uh, unimpeded. And I'm afraid when you see war in the Middle East now, war in Ukraine, uh, chaos at the border, I mean, one can make a reasonable argument that it's not working. And, you know, policy is not working. So, look, I'm a proud Democrat. I want to see a Democrat reelected. I do not want Donald Trump reelected. And that's why I'm running for president, Leland. I, I'm appalled. And my party has not woken up from its delusion. Mm. I think Mr. Biden is a good man, but it is time to hang it up. It's time for a new generation. And, yes, we must invest in peace. But we also need a policy of reciprocity. We are taken advantage of time and time again by country after country that loves poking us. 
And I think we should be meeting the proxy battles, frankly, with more uh, of the same thing. Our CIA right. has in the past, of course, initiated proxy uh, campaigns against others. Iran likes to use plausible deniability. I think it's implausible. But you know what? It's time for cyber attacks. It's time for uh, the Iranians to know Fair that enough. we're not going to just sit down and take it. I don't want to see more bloodshed. Nobody does, Leland. But if you don't set the standard yeah. and make people understand very clearly what they're risking if they take us on, this will continue and continue and continue. And I'm just afraid uh, the policy's not working. Well, no, as you said, the proof's in the pudding. It, it hasn't worked, and, and now we see whether they admit that. I'm interested. You said you're a proud Democrat, mm-hmm. and this is now becoming a split uh, within the Democratic Party. I'm wondering where you come down on this. Mm-hmm. Biden administration discussing slowing some weaponry deliveries to Israel to pressure Netanyahu. U.S. officials are considering pausing or slowing some armaments to Israel to convince the government to heed U.S. calls to scale back its military assault in Gaza. We have said for a long time on issues of moral clarity, of which Israel is one, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Is, is President Biden having it both ways? And I'm wondering if that's proof that, that your campaign and uh, criticism of him is, is proving uh, fearful to him. Well, I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm just speaking the truth. You know, it doesn't matter if it's helpful to my party or not. It's not my job. My job is the Constitution to represent our country. You know, and look at Leland. The fact of the matter is one of the great sources of conflict in the Middle East, of course, is the ongoing Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And once again, you know, Israel's only 75 years old. Joe Biden has been around for 50 of those 75 years. Again, Foreign Relations Committee Chairman. We have been unsuccessful for generations. This cycle of bloodshed continues. And if we really want to take down the temperature in the Middle East, we have got to establish a Palestinian state that is safe, Hmm. Uh, that is secure, that has prosperity, uh, that we have a Marshall Plan to create investment. Because, Leland, the fact yeah. of the matter is, it doesn't matter if you're uh, Israeli, Palestinian, anything else. If you're a human being, you act differently when you have something to protect. That is true as humans all around the world. And if we don't okay. recognize the basics of psychology, I think it's time for massive change. That's why I say new leadership from the West Bank to the West Wing. And the fact is, two countries need to live side by side, Jews in Palestine, Palestinians in Israel, and have mutual respect and peace and prosperity. It is long overdue. And yes, I do think Joe Biden has failed. All right. Well, I, I think that, 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 part is, um, that part is clear. Congressman, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate you being back on the show. We'll catch up with you uh, on the campaign trail. Anytime, uh, more about the campaign. Yeah, and more about the campaign in our next interview. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. Gives you a free look at our thoughts on the most important stories of the day. It comes out every day at 4 p.m. You can reply. We read them all. We'll read some of them on air. Also, connect with us on social media at Leland Vittard on Twitter and Instagram. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, RFK Jr. has Democrats worried he could play spoiler come November and guarantee Trump a second term. Bill O'Reilly joins us. He remembers a fellow named H. Ross Perot. Is RFK the H. Ross Perot of 2024? Bill O'Reilly joining us next on that. And Mr. Irrelevant No More, Brock Purdy gets the last laugh on the field and also teaches us a little bit about how to lead our lives. What we can learn from Mr. Irrelevant when we come back. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. 
All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Asked you that today, what would your response be? I, I would not take that job. I'm flattered that President Trump would offer to me, um, but it's not something that I'm interested in. Uh, it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. with News Nation's Rich McHugh saying he won't be Donald Trump's vice president should Trump ask him. There was reporting earlier that that was discussed between the two camps. He followed that up by saying he's considering a run as a libertarian candidate. That would give him access to the ballot in all 50 states. Ross Perot played spoiler, you might remember, in 1992. He finished with just under 19% of the vote in a hypothetical three-way race with Trump, Biden, and RFK. RFK is now at 18%, and that's before a lot of the electorate even knows who he is. Much of the media won't give RFK a platform or take him seriously. We, of course, held a town hall with him, among a lot of other coverage. He's always welcome on the show. Several outlets are already reminding folks of Perot's legacy from Vox, the weird true story of the most successful third-party presidential candidate in the past century. From USA Today, from RFK Jr. to Cornell West, could third-party presidential candidates tip the 2024 scales? Bill O'Reilly is here, anchor of No Spin News, author of Confronting the Presidents, No Spin Assessments from Washington to Biden, coming to a bookstore near you in September. Good to see you, sir, as always. Any chance of a third party candidate being president in 2024? No. That may be the shortest answer uh, you've you... ever given on, on, the, on the program. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Any chance no. that RFK plays a major role in the 2024 election like Perot did in 92? Um, Perot made it impossible for Bush the Elder to win. Because what was in play there um, was an establishment politician, George H.W. Bush, uh, against uh, a young up-and-coming person that nobody knew much about, Bill Clinton. And Perot basically injected himself in a very bizarre way. You remember he was Larry King's best friend? Hello! Ross Perot's on tonight for the 85th time in a row. Um, and he, Perot didn't campaign. He just went on CNN. And he had so much money, he got on in all the states. As you said, he got 19% of the popular vote. No electoral votes. But it was enough to throw Bush off his game. Bush was uh, perceived by the American public at that point as a guy who raised taxes when he said he wouldn't. The economy was shaky. Clinton was a lot like Barack Obama, hope and change. He was from Hope, Arkansas. Here I come. And most people took a gamble on Clinton, and that's why he won. This year, you've got two old guys. No breath of fresh air. And Kennedy's an old guy, too. Kennedy's in his late 60s. Do, do we have that Probably video of him doing RFK push-ups Jr. without a shirt on? I don't really keep, need to see keep that. Keep going. Video. We're going to get the video for you. No, we're going to get the video of uh, Kennedy doing push-ups without his shirt on, but keep going. All right. Maybe we you do that in the next segment. 
Anyway, um, RFK has a problem in the sense that his constituency is primarily anti-vaxxer conspiracy people. And if he wants to get out of that, which I don't think he does because those are the people that support him, he needs to put out a position paper. So, for example, a few months ago, RFK said, oh, I favor reparations. And then the next day he went, no, I, that, I don't favor reparations. He wants to get out of Ukraine. I guess, is he willing to cede the, all of uh, the former Soviet countries to Putin? We don't know. We don't know. All we know yeah. is that he doesn't like the establishment, a good thing, a good thing, and that he wrote a book that sold a lot of copies telling you you're going to turn into a zombie if you get the COVID vaccination. It's not enough. So he'll peak at 12 to 15 percent if he gets on all 50 states, which he should be able to do. And he'll take more from Biden than he does from Trump. Look, he, he's a Democrat. He's a Kennedy. And he's at least a, a guy who can do push-ups compared to, to Joe Biden. He's younger. He has some different and interesting ideas. He was on with Cuomo last week talking about they, the, the Democrats. Can I interrupt issues. you for a minute? Yes. Did they do push-ups together, him and Cuomo? Do you have video of them both? No, I, or, I, do, no. I, I don't, but I'm no? gonna, I'm, we're going to send this clip to Cuomo and tell him that next time uh, they, they, they should. Uh, okay. This is RFK on Cuomo last week talking about Democrats' plans as it relates to Donald Trump. Take a listen. I think what they're gambling on is that maybe these court cases aren't going to work and take Trump out of the race. Uh, but I don't think that they have a strategy for actually beating President Trump. I'm wondering if you might not agree with him. Well, they can't have a strategy because Biden is so terrible as a president. I mean, I'm right in the middle of uh, Jimmy Carter, who is absolutely the worst. Where do you read about Carter? Because all of this stuff we're writing about and confronting the presidents is new. It's all primary source material. You haven't heard it before. Okay. So what, what do you mean? Biden's strategy? What strategy? I failed with the economy, 17% inflation for necessities. I failed at the border. I failed keeping the peace around the world. I failed controlling government spending. What's the strategy, Leland? What's he going to run on? I don't go to work three out of seven days. Nobody knows where I am today, Monday. Where is he today? Nobody knows. It's insane. He's got nothing to run on. Trump should be ahead by 20 points. And the reason Trump isn't ahead is because Trump can't discipline himself and stay on the record, stay on the issues. He has to comment on Nikki Haley's dress. Why? That's in, he, Trump should be up by 20 and waltz right in if you compare the two records about what he did in four years compared to Biden in three years. Just the fentanyl deaths alone are horrifying, horrifying. So yeah. Biden's got nothing to run on. RFK Jr. is a conspiracy guy. And if he puts out a position paper, I'll read it. But he hasn't. And Trump is making fun of Nikki Haley's attire. What place for the country to be? 
Well, that, that may be the thing that everybody agrees on in terms of what, what place for the country to be. Um, look, if you get Cuomo to do push-ups, let me know, all right? Oh, he does push-ups every hour on the hour, Cuomo. He's that, that's yeah. what he does. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll see, you, we'll see you soon, sir. Thank you. We take pride, of course. We start every, every night off by saying this is the fairest show on television, and that's because fairness is an American value. At the same time, there's nothing worse than when people whine that life isn't fair. What's amazing is hearing someone grateful. What's amazing about it is that it never happens. People just want to complain all the time. They always want to be the victim. That's sort of our lives right now is people playing victims. But what happens when someone doesn't complain about unfairness? Consider this year's Super Bowl, Brock Purdy. He's the quarterback for the 49ers. He gets paid $935,000 a year. It's a lot of money, no question about that. But he faces an opponent who makes $56 million a year. That's Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. So Mahomes makes almost as much in one game before halftime as Purdy makes all year. Now, Brock's Purdy's salary is 20 times the average American's, but that's a different issue. It'd be so easy for Purdy to complain. It'd be, it'd be easy to complain, almost like how a singer would complain about being on television too much. But we'll get to that part later. Purdy doesn't complain. In fact, all he talks about is how grateful he is. Last night we learned why. He learned it from his mother. And then the Mr. Irrelevant has been an awesome blessing in our life. His goal was to play football, and now he's going to the Super Bowl. You can't help but love the guy. Mr. Irrelevant is a reference to Purdy's draft pick, the very last man picked in the NFL draft. Well, he should be relevant to all of us. Finally, an athlete who gets it. Not because of his football skills, but because of how he views life. Somebody who's grateful for being paid way more than any of us to play a game. He doesn't think he's doing us a favor. It's awesome. It's refreshing. Of course, the other storyline from the Super Bowl is going to be Taylor Swift. She makes more per day than Purdy makes in a year. She's dating one of the Kansas City Chiefs players and thus highly relevant to the telecast of every game. Like yesterday when she saw herself on the CBS broadcast from her suite, she looked up at the TV, saw herself, and mouthed at the TV, go away, please, almost as if she's talking to the director of the show. She's annoyed by the attention of her adoring fans. The nice thing about the attention that we're all getting and seeing about Brock Purdy and Taylor Swift is that when you really see somebody under the spotlight, as we are now seeing both of these people, you get to finally see who they really are. Brock Purdy, young kid just happy to play the game, grateful to play the game, or the famous singer who's now annoyed and upset that she's famous. What's amazing is hearing someone grateful rather than complain about that perceived unfairness, which says a lot about them. As we showed you, it says a lot about their parents. When we come back, Democrats now want to blame Trump and Republicans for the crisis on our southern border. Can they pull off the political Houdini Act of 2024? Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, 
Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. The leader of our party, there is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America. It's not going to happen. I noticed that, and I'll fight it all the way. All right, President Trump on Saturday talking about a new border deal between Senate Republicans and Democrats. House Speaker Mike Johnson has tweeted, any border shutdown authority that allows even one illegal crossing is a non-starter. Thousands each day is outrageous. The number must be zero. If the border stays open and there is no deal, as you could hear, President Trump plans to use it as a compelling campaign issue. President Biden thinks he can flip the script. If Republicans won't deal, President Biden and Democrats will say the open border is Republicans' fault. Congresswoman Yvette Clark here, member of the House Committee on Homeland Security, Democrat of New York. We appreciate it, ma'am. Thank you. This from the president. President Biden willing to shut down the U.S.-Mexico border, quote, right now. Uh, this is a statement from the, the White House. If lawmakers can send him an immigration bill to sign, deal would give him the emergency authority to close the border, bless you, until the government can get it back under control. Uh, are you okay, ma'am, or should we come back? Uh, we're we're gonna t- we're gonna take it. You're okay. Tell you what, get a gla- get a glass of water. Um, we're, we're gonna come back to you. I hear I hear you coughing today. It happens to all of us. No worries there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the border when we come back. Plus, pro-Palestinian protesters attack mourners outside a memorial service in New York. Why nothing changed after the October seventh attacks. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Control. Uh, I think reasonable people can agree there's a crisis um, at the southern border. This would be my question. Why wouldn't he do that now? Because he has the authority to make some pretty big changes to the immigration laws. Well, first of all, let me apologize to you and your listening audience <laughs> for we're my glad, uh, We're glad my you're feeling better. Here. Uh, I'm much better. A little tickle in the throat got out of control, but we've got it under wraps now. Let me say that, first of all, it is the responsibility of the United States Congress to provide the legislation that the executive branch needs to really impact um, what has become a crisis at the border. You know, I, I can't speak for the administration. I don't work for the administration. But what I can say is that my colleagues here need to need to do their jobs. We need to, yeah. uh, you know, stop this political shenanigans, putting, you know, politics over we, governance and people. We, we, and look, we, we, did, we did that and, segment. And the Senate has already made that happen. No, 
I, I understand. The, we, we, the, did, the, we, the we, did that seg- we did that segment last week um, about Republicans uh, okay. sort of trying to trying to play politics with this and keep this as an issue for President Trump. I'm, I'm issued with, uh, interested about Democrats now. This is your statement when Donald Trump was president. But with Donald Trump's executive orders, our immigration laws are under control of individuals who dislike the other now di- t- dictates policy. Mayor de- Bill de Blasio, Governor Andrew Cuomo have pledged to protect all families in New York City. I will join them in that fight. That was you talking about uh, deportations, but also about Trump's plans to build the border wall. And based on that, uh, things were different under President Trump. The laws were the same. President Biden has the authority to do this if he'd like to. And I'm wondering if Democrats aren't just playing politics the same way you're accusing Republicans are. No, we're trying to fix the problem. And, you know, what what the president can do is is temporary and it becomes arbitrary based on whoever's president at at, at a given moment. We need to fix this situation once and for all. And that means legislation. We need to do our jobs here on Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, it's time we do that. All right. Fair fair enough. Thank you. I apologize for keeping... uh keeping it short here. We'll have you back when we have more time and uh, we'll have a cup of coffee or at least some water for you uh, then as well, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on now. Pro- Thanks, yes. Yeah. Thank you. We look forward to it as well. Protesters were out at a memorial. Protesters at a memorial service for Henry Kissinger over the weekend. Lovely folks, pro-Hamas protesters shouting things like, we'll burn your homes. And I bet this is the first time you've heard about it or seen the video. Meanwhile, the Washington Post wrote a nearly 5,000-word article. You can see the article on your screen now. It chronicles the difficult time of Amish Prashar, who was confronted in a New York City playground because he wore a keffiyeh. That is the scarf that's made popular by Yasser Arafat in the Palestinian resistance movement. The Washington Post spent 5,000 words on a 40-second video about someone embarrassed on a playground. And look, what happened to him was not right. Yet when it comes to Jews, which is on the far right side of your video, well, then it's a both sides political issue. Bacha Unger Sargon here, opinion editor at Newsweek. You know, Bacha, I was hopeful. You and I talked starting October 7th on about this issue. I was hopeful that it would change. It seems to have only gotten worse. Why is that? Um, It's a great question. Thank you, Leland, so much for having me on the fairest show on television. Um, I I, I agree with you. You know, we had this feeling like, oh, this is a moment in which everything is going to change. People are going to realize how much anti-Semitism there is and how terrible it is. And of course, um, that didn't happen. Um, Here's why. Um, If you are woke and you believe that only white people have agency and power and are inherently evil, and you believe that people of color are inherently powerless and have no agency and no ability to act and are inherently virtuous, which is the worldview that is passed down through the university system. If you believe that, then when so-called people of color do bad things, it cannot possibly be their fault. Uh, because they have no agency, because they have darker skin and they are the oppressed, right? And the oppressed have no responsibilities and no agency. So what happens when there is evidence of mass rape and mass murder and children being dismembered alive in front of their children? What do the wokes do? They have to retrofit a crime to the victims, right? It has to be the victim's 
fault because they are the only ones who have agency because they have lighter skin. That is the sick worldview that is inherited through the university system and is now viral on TikTok. And so when yeah. you see things I, like I, this, that, that's what's real, going through their real, minds. Bacha, I, I hate to cut you off, but I want to get to this. Young Americans' education on the whole Holocaust or uneducation. 63% unaware 6 million Jews killed in the Holocaust. 23% said the Holocaust was a myth. 12% they had definitely not heard of it. 11% said Jews had caused the Holocaust. I'm, the, the 23% and the 63% is what I'm most interested in. Um, and I'll give you the last 30 seconds. Do you think that is, is conscious by the American education system to whitewash the Holocaust? It's a really great question. You know, before all of this, I would have said no. But now there is so much evidence that these teachers are, you know, so on the side of the Palestinians and Hamas because they have these educations, because they go through that system. The education department is so, so deeply embedded in the woke worldview. Hmm. And so now I think it could very well be. All right. We, we got to run. Thank you. Uh, well said. Thanks, we'll talk soon. Coming up next, Florida lawmakers want to ban social media apps from teens' phones. The Florida House Speaker explains how that's even possible. Yeah, when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hard to find bipartisan agreement on anything these days. Down in Florida, they did. They banned social media apps from being on kids' phones. Any kid under the age of 16, no social media. HB1 overwhelmingly passed the Florida House by a vote of 106 to 13. Bill's sponsors believe it will help fight sexual predators and a worsening mental health crisis for Florida kids. No argument there. Paul Renner, Speaker of Florida's House, championed the bill and joins us now. Mr. Speaker, it's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. I appreciate you being here with us. I don't think you get any argument that social media is bad for kids. My question is, is it, is it the place of the state legislature to, to mandate it, number one? But number two, my mother can't figure out how to use her phone, much less how to police what would be on a kid's phone. Well, uh, look, there's many things that we say are, are off limits for kids. They can't yeah. smoke cigarettes, they can't drink, uh, and they can't get behind the wheel of a car. So this is really a public safety issue. It's in that category of things that are so dangerous for kids because we know these platforms are addictive okay, and we know they're fair, harmful. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. How, how, does it, how does it work to regulate interstate commerce and essentially what would be typically something in purview of the federal government of, of that which is done from interstate communications on kids in Florida's cell phones? Well, we can regulate this. The federal government should. And so we simply say if you're under 16, someone has to age verify you up through a commercially reasonable uh, means. And if you're over 16, you can be on. If not, you can't. Only for those technologies that are addictive, again, and have those characteristics. And it's simple enough for those platforms simply to take away those technologies and create a safe environment for kids. And they can say whatever they want to then on those platforms. Okay, so the uh, in, so Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all those are are out. 
Well, we don't name anybody in, in the bill, but again, you know, so, how, if you so think who about decides these, which ones are addictive? Well, it has to be shown. It has to be shown. And so if they say they're not addictive, we would have to prove that up, obviously. But uh, the, what's what's important about these platforms is they didn't des- design it and then find out later that it was addictive. They designed it to be addictive. Oh, no. They and knew you, it was you get, addictive. I, look, you get no argument about how, ba- how bad they are, okay? And I, Lord knows how much time I spent on Instagram. My, my question is, how are you going to enforce this and how do you decide which social media apps are okay and not? Well, if they meet that criteria, they're within the bill. If they don't, they're not. So the wide you know, breadth of the Internet, many applications would not fall under the bill because they don't do those things. They don't track people's data without their knowledge. They don't target advertise to them. They don't use this addictive technology. And it's simple enough for them to change, but they won't do it. You know, I can only imagine there's a lot of parents who are saying, thank God, now I don't have to, I don't have to blame myself for taking my kids' social media away. I can blame the, the Florida State Legislature. Um, hey, Congratulations on getting something past 100 and whatever to 13. That takes uh, some work. Uh, Mr. Speaker, we got to run, but thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll follow uh, what will be a number of court cases uh, involving this bill. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Secretary of State just said this is the most dangerous time since 1973. Big change from just four months ago when the administration said the Middle East was as calm as it had been in years, decades. Here's Chris. everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Monday. We're live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. So Iran's proxies attacking us all over the Middle East have been for months. Eventually, they were going to kill some of our troops. And now they have. Three U.S. troops killed in Jordan by a drone. Ignore these stories about how, well, here's what happened. Turns out we mistakenly let the drone through because we thought, listen, it's not our fault, okay? It's the fault of the people trying to 